Welcome to the C3 Church Global Podcast with Phil Pringle. Phil is the founder and senior leader of C3 Church Global, a family of over 500 churches around the world. We're passionate about bringing you fresh, inspiring devotionals to fuel your day and insightful conversations on all things church and leadership. And it all starts right now. Well, I am really thrilled to be talking in this devotion about Psalm 27, and it has got to be one of my most favorite Psalms, and I've read it I don't know how many times because it applies to so many situations where there's pressure, where there's challenge, where there's difficulty. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's an awesome thing when the Lord is your sunshine. He is, the, he is the sun that rises on your horizon. He gives you warmth. He gives you light. He brings life. He brings color. Everything the sun does, David is saying, Jesus does for me. He's like the sun rising on my life. And he's my salvation. So he's going to get me out of any difficulty. He's my rescuer. So then he says, whom shall I fear? Not what shall I fear, but whom shall I fear? The fear of man is definitely a problem for a lot of us. But the fear of God has the way and the power to actually reduce that fear of man. John Newton's Amazing Grace hymn, says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved." How fascinating is that? The same grace that teaches my heart to fear is the same grace that rids me of other fears. The fear of God is not a fear, though. It's not a terror. It is a beautiful thing. It is a knowing that God is enormously powerful, that He is my God, and that I stand in awe before Him, trembling in one sense in worship because of the might and the glory and the power of that God. But then I also understand that He loves me and that all of that power, all of that strength is for me, not against me. And so David said, the Lord is my, he's like a sun, like the sun on the horizon, like the sun in the universe. And he is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When we're in the dark, fear is a lot easier to come by because we can't see where we're going. We can't see up ahead. If we feel something touch us, we don't know what it was. We can't see our next step underneath us. We don't know if there's an obstacle in the way. We don't know if we're going in the right direction. So we stop. We're fearful of noises that we hear. We can't identify what they've come from or who they've come from. In the dark, fear is normal. It is completely natural. And it's horrifying. It's like a corrosive acid on our soul, eating us away, eating up our mind. But when we meet Jesus, 
the light comes on and we live in that light. We find ourselves healed and staying healthy. Fear will steal all your energy and it will make you feel weak. Fear drains you. You, you think of those thoughts, that when you th think those negative thoughts, how your shoulders sag and your hands hang down and you sigh just because of a thought in your mind and you don't feel energized at all. But then how about when you think of a bright thought something good that's going to happen. It motivates you. You get out of bed, you put on your best clothes. You're ready because thoughts have a power to energize or de-energize us, to fatigue us or actually to get us going. And so it is important that we have faith coming into our lives and not fear. Faith is the opposite of fear. You know, when I was uh, preparing this devotional, I... I thought about when fuses blow in the house and you got to go back, go out there and switch it on because I often talk about switching on your faith and thinking about all the different switches that you can have in your life. One of them is that fuse switch out in the, in the garage or wherever it is on the side of the house. When I was a kid, we didn't have the switches. We just had these big white insulators that had a wire tacked between them and you had to put a piece of wire there and put it back in so that uh, the few that would be the fuse that if too much current was coming through the wires it would blow rather than blow up the appliance and uh, and then later on obviously we got the little glass tubes with a wire in it and we put those in and you can put them in your motorbike or your motor car and nowadays we just have a switch that you switch it back on the thing is that you don't do anything to actually blow the fuse. and it, it just gets blown. What you've got to do is switch it back on if you want light, if you want power back in the house. So fear can come in to our world as a surge of fear and it blows the fuse of faith and you lose it. Boom, faith's gone out and you're in the dark. You need to go out and switch faith back on. Say, I'm believing God, God's going to get me through this. Somehow, some way, I'll get to the other side of this challenge and God will make it victorious. He'll backfire the plans of the enemy and I'll be on top, not underneath, in Jesus' name. So when you start to speak your faith again, you switch, the, you switch it on. But fear will keep coming at you probably every day of your life. That's why there's 365 fear knots because fear is going to try and come at you all the time, just because we fix it today doesn't mean it isn't going to blow a fuse again tomorrow. And so we've got to keep on switching our faith on. But we should also do some transformation so that we don't blow the fuse so easily. I did a little study on what, what blows fuses, and uh, I found six of them. The first one was old wiring and new systems. <laughs> so... When we've got old wiring going through our house and we put in a brand new appliance and it's demanding more current than the fuse will allow through, the fuse just gives up, blows, boom. And we might have new things happening in our life and trying to do it with our old ways. You might find yourself with a blown fuse just because of that. 
The second thing is you might have the new wiring, but you've got some, some appliances in your house that need more amps than the fuses can sustain. You've got to either put a bigger fuse in there to let that amount of current through or else get a new appliance. Mostly we just thicken up the wiring of the, of the fuse so it'll let more, more power through. And so our ability to carry more power and to resist the fears that come through and try to get through and we're able to block them becomes imperative. Number three, electrical surpluses. That means there's a surge from some other place of power for some reason, like lightning might strike a place and boom, all the fuses blow. Well, a lightning strike of fear can come into your life with bad news, with the threat of something, and boom, all your switches go off. You've blown the fuse. Well, go out there and switch them on again. I believe God. Quote a scripture, my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And doubt will fight back and say, but what if He doesn't? How's He going to do it? Where's it going to come from? Ignore that. Fight the good fight of faith. Speak it again. My God shall supply all of our needs according to His riches in glory. Where's it going to come from? My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches in glory. With God, nothing's impossible. Have faith in God. And gradually as you speak the promises of God and speak the Word of God, you're switching your faith on and you're rewiring your system so that when that thing comes again, you're confident. The fourth was electric short circuits. If, uh, if something, a bare wire touches the ground, uh, it short circuits. The, the wrong loop of electricity happens and boom, you've got uh, a short circuit. So you've got to go out there and switch that, 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 uh, that fuse switch on again. Natural causes, just uh, things happen. It can be anything, like a power pole gets knocked over and uh, whatever. It can be a, a mudslide starts to shake up your house and you find all the fuses blow because there's been strain put on the electricity. Uh, fuses that burn out over time. Just They just burn out over time. They, they get old. And, and if we haven't been in a fight for a while, we might not be fighting fit for the fight of faith. And so we need to make sure that we are able to switch it back on in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Lord was the light, the strength, and the salvation for David, making him fearless. And that's so important that all of us get a hold of that, that, kind, of, that kind of relationship with the Lord. Psalm 27 verse 2 says, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. When the Lord's your salvation, your enemies have no chance of success. They will only get so far and then they will stumble. Then they will fall. I mean, we are, as a believer, you're always going to be attacked because this world is not your home. And the whole world lies in the devil's hands, the Bible says. It's, it's like the, it lies in the wicked one. It's under the oppression of the prince and the power of the air. So we're like here fighting against the atmosphere and the darkness that is in the earth. 
But uh, I found also that God will defend you and me as we stand up for Him. His power will strengthen us. We'll feel the grace of God and we'll find God backfiring the plans of the enemy. I mean, how many times in Scripture does God do this? It is astonishing. The chariots of Egypt chasing down Moses. He, he opens the Red Sea and they, they think they've got him in a cul-de-sac. They think we've trapped him. He's got the ocean in front of him. Mountains to the north, desert to the south. He can't go anywhere with all these people. But God makes a way through that sea and they walk through. The chariots decide we're going to kill these guys. We're going to follow them and kill them. Backfires completely. They are drowned in that ocean. How about, when, how about when Haman decides he's going to kill all the Jewish people throughout the kingdom of Ahasuerus and Esther ends up through a series of incredible coincidences, which are really God incidences, she becomes the queen. And she is both fasting and pleading for the lives of all of her people, the Jewish people, and to the king. And by a series of events, she manages to have a meal with the king and Haman, the king's right-hand man. And she says, this man has plotted against all of my people right around the land. And Haman had erected these gallows to hang his, his mortal enemy, whose name was Mordecai. Uh, on, he, he was going to hang him on these. And without getting too complex, Mordecai was the uncle of Esther and had looked after her being in the king's palace. And he was a Jewish person that wanted, would not bow to anybody but stood for God. And Haman hated him, hated him and wanted to kill him. And so he'd prepared these gallows for him on the day that all the Jewish people were to die and be slaughtered throughout the entire kingdom. But as it turns out, Esther uncovered the plan. The king was furious, told all the Jewish people in all the cities that they could do whatever they liked to their enemies in those cities and plunder those cities. And then he hung Haman on his own gallows. It backfired. A plan against God and his people will always backfire. You've got to know that every, every time it happened, when the, the diplomats, the government officials tried to entrap Daniel by signing a law that made prayer illegal. They knew he wouldn't stop praying because he was so devoted. So they banked on his devotion to Christ, his unwavering, unfaltering dedication to Yahweh. And so when finally they got the law through, they brought him before the king, said, Daniel's been found praying. They threw him in the lion's den. They, they hated him. They wanted him dead because he was risen and so, so far through the ranks. But the lions, we all know, didn't eat Daniel at all. He came out the next morning. But then the very men who had entrapped him were thrown into the lion's den and they didn't even reach the ground. The lions devoured them. The plan backfired. So whatever is planned against you and me, it's going to backfire. 
because all things work together for good to those who love God. Verse 3, Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. <laughs> wow. Instantly, I think of Elisha in the Old Testament surrounded by the armies of Syria. Every time the Syrian king plans to ambush the Israeli soldiers, Elisha the prophet can see in the spirit and hear in the spirit the plans of the king. And so he sends messages to the king of Israel. Don't go this way as you had planned. Don't go here as you had planned. And each time the king of Israel averted disaster by going in a different direction because of the insight, the supernatural insight of the prophet Elisha. So the king of Syria found out that it was the prophet. He determined, I'm going to kill the man. So he comes down and surrounds the city that Elisha is in. It's a small town. And Elisha is asleep in his bed. His servant gets up in the morning, goes out and looks around and sees the entire army of Syria surrounding their, the place where they live. And he's nervous. He's afraid. He comes running back in. He says, Elisha, Elisha, we're surrounded. I mean, what are we going to do? And it's almost like Elisha yawns, walks slowly to the door, prays this casual prayer, Lord, open the boy's eyes. Let him see what I can see. And suddenly the boy could see, the servant could see that there was another army surrounding them. And that army was the army of God, angels, huge number surrounding the man of God. And uh, by that, they were defeated. Their foreigner enemies were wiped out eventually, but that was the beginning of their end when their plan backfired, not only backfired, but when the army encamps around us. Understand this, there are many more for us than are with them, many more that are for us than are against us. Though an army may encamp against me, how bad is it when a problem just camps next to you? It, it doesn't go away. It's set up camp, for goodness sake. It's there on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's there January, February, March, April. It's there 21, 22. 20. It just hangs there. And it doesn't seem like we can get rid of it. We're living above it. But faith is about living above unresolved circumstances as much as it is about living in victory, in freedom from that circumstance and getting rid of it in the miracle that heals or the miracle that gets us out of a situation. But there are some situations that just don't seem to get resolved that easily. And it is faith that'll keep you living above it. My heart shall not fear. The war, strife will rise against me and this I will be confident. I've found that these are far easier to read and believe and say when you haven't got a war going on than when there is. And when war rises against us, to say, in this I will be confident. It can be quite challenging 
because the kind of war that we as believers will face are things like being mocked, publicly criticized, shamed, any of these things. And to be confident in the midst of all that sometimes is a challenge. So look to the Lord and you'll find that confidence will come into your heart from His Spirit. One thing, verse 4 of Psalm 27, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. My, I love this psalm. One thing. I mean, if you could be, if you could be given just one thing, absolutely guaranteed, absolutely guaranteed. There's not going to be any questions asked, no qualifications. You can have whatever you like. One thing. What are you going to ask for? It amazes me here that David said, what I desire is that I could dwell in God's house all the days of my life. I go, wow. That is, I I don't know too many people who that would be their chief one and only, if they only had one desire, that would be it. But he's perceived that the only way you get to be in the house of God is by his permission, by his acceptance. It's not like we make the decision, yeah, I'm going to go to church or I'm going to leave church. We're in church by divine permission, by his choosing, by his prerogative. And he's saying, Lord, I, I, I look to you for that privilege to be a member in the house of God, to be in your church. And that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then it is, he says, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Wow. You got to love that, don't you? It's, I want to be in the house of God. Why? Because I want to see God. It's in his house that I worship with the saints and I get to see God. And what I see is beautiful. God is beautiful. Everything he makes is beautiful. Even when it's dying, it's beautiful. A dead tree still looks beautiful. A leaf in autumn still looks beautiful. It is astonishing that, that, that the whole of creation, the oceans, the mountains, the sky, the moon, the whole of the planet, is beautiful. People travel millions of miles a year, many, many people. I mean, millions of people travel millions of miles just to go see it. The whole tourist industry is based on, I want these eyeballs to view those mountains. I want to feel that ocean. I want to uh, experience the wind and, and the sails. I, the whole planet is like a massive playground God has given us to enjoy. It's beautiful. And and that, for me, is a, a problem for, for the evolutionary thinking because it would seem that it's based on adaption for what is needed. There's a lot of beautiful things that aren't needed. I mean, the colors and the, the beauty of, of the world, it's, it's, a, it's not an, a necessary thing. And so it, in some cases, it's not even functional at all. But God is... Whatever God makes, it's going to be beautiful. And he said, when I come into the house of God, my whole sense, my mind, my, my hearing, my speaking, my emotions, it's all enhanced because I'm beholding something that's beautiful. I mean, you go to the, 
most of the movies, my, many of the movies, there's just so much ugliness and depicted and so many horrible things that man can produce. Uh, I mean, what we produce are things like car parks, for goodness sake. People don't go to a car park to have a restful lunch. They go down by a weeping willow by a stream on green grass and under a blue sky listening to birds chirp. I mean, it's beautiful. It brings rest. It resonates with our humanness. And David desired this. And then the last thing here in this devotion, in this particular verse, and to inquire in his temple. He said, the, the reason I want to be able to dwell in the house of God is because when I go to church, God speaks to me. When I'm in worship, I get to see the Lord and I get to hear from Him. And to hear from God about what our next step should be, about His vision for our life, about how He feels about us, just to hear from God. We live by that. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, this is part one of our devotion on Psalm 27. Looking forward to doing part two with you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the C3 Church Global Podcast. Let us know what you thought by leaving a review and connect with us on Instagram at C3 Church Global. We hope you'll be back real soon.